Hey folks, welcome to Deep Wild Podcast. It's Dylan here. Uh, I got kind of a fun thing happening for this episode. I teamed up with the Rookie Hunter Podcast and Hunter Conservationist Podcast and my friend Jenny Lee with the um, Chasing Food Club. And we were invited to participate in a live podcast recording hosted by the British Columbia Backcountry Hunters and Anglers down at the Filson shop in uh, downtown Vancouver. This is an awesome experience to hang out with some other folks who are um, telling stories around hunting, particularly in British Columbia, talking about conservation and fun stuff like that. Also, it was just a good time to bring together the, the hunting community in Vancouver. Um, so, yeah, we had a lot of fun and we talked about what I think is a pretty important subject. Hunting is really hard and... and and I, and I work with a lot of new hunters and um, a lot of folks who are trying to um, learn how to fill their freezers. And I have clients and friends that year over year they, they struggle with, like putting meat in the freezer or having success on, the, on these hunts. And they're still at it, uh, persevering, uh, learning lessons, and, and uh, just trying to figure it out. So uh, we thought it'd be kind of fun to have a longer conversation around why why is hunting so hard? Like, what are the challenges? What makes it difficult to have success? And, and what are the areas you, you need to focus on to to really have consistent success to fill your freezer every year and, and have a successful hunt? So we so we hung out in a panel and uh, chatted for a little over an hour about uh, our thoughts on this. And hopefully you'll enjoy this podcast. And just want to say thanks to the Rookie Hunter podcast for making this opportunity. These guys have been at it for a while. I, I was on their podcast uh a uh, number of years ago before they were, were famous and having all the big stars of the hunting community on their podcast. And we had a, a good chat then and um, we've stayed in touch. I'm glad that they're reaching out now to continue to collaborate and work on projects together, but uh, they've become good friends and um, yeah, we had a good time. So hope you enjoy it. This is live, so you guys can make a little bit of noise, so it sounds like there's people in here. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Good. Thank you for coming out. Um, first things first, is anybody listen to Rookie Hunter? Yeah, a couple of you. So you know we usually like to start with a nice cold brew. Tell what's on tap. Stanley Park Brewing. I've got a Noble Pilsner. It's pretty good. Nice. I got the uh, the lager. Uh, big thanks to these guys for for supplying beer for all of us tonight. And I think there's quite a bit back there. So uh, feel free to keep it going. And uh, I think it'll make this a little bit more entertaining too. Uh, so Kelly and I started this podcast way back in uh, I think it was March 2016, and the whole point of it was just to get together and drink beer together basically and uh, record our hunting journey and uh, we didn't really expect much to come from it other than just to get together and have fun so to come here and and have a full room with all you guys is is pretty cool so again huge thank you for for coming out and doing this yeah it's awesome um, huge thank you to uh, Philson for for hosting us round of applause yeah <laughs> Um, 
backcountry hunters and anglers. We got members in here? Yeah, cool. I'm sure you can sign up. It's not that expensive. It's uh, like a case of beer or something is, is the cost of admission to that club. So uh, if you guys aren't members, it would be cool uh, if you signed up and uh, joined us with BHA. Um, so Kelly and I have known each other for a long time and we played in a, a rock band for a number of years. So the last time we were on stage together was like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. And uh, Back in the, in the college days? The college days, yeah. So it's fun to be back on stage together doing something, I kinda, something uh, different. I feel naked up here without an instrument, though. Like, you know, prefer to have a guitar in my hands. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. So the, the theme for tonight is why is hunting so hard? And I'm assuming most of you hunt and uh, know that it's not easy. Um, so I think we're going to have some pretty unique perspectives. See, there's some empty stools here. We have some more people uh, joining us. So I think it should be uh, a fun conversation. And I'm excited to hear what, what everybody has to say um, tonight. Um, and at the end of the show, we're going to do a, a Q&A. So if you guys have questions, start thinking about those now. And I think we'll have a good at least 20 minutes to open it up to you guys to, to ask us whatever questions you want to know. But um, I think we should bring the rest of the crew out. They're hiding out back there somewhere. Jenny Lee, Chasing Food Club. We got uh, Mark and Curtis Hall, 100 Conservationists. And, oh, there you are, Dylan Ayers from uh, Eat Wild. So I thought it'd be nice if you guys would introduce yourselves. Jenny, let's start with you. Just tell us a bit about yourself and what, uh, why you started Chasing Food Club. Hello, everybody. So I started hunting about two years ago on my own uh, because I had this obsession with food. Um, and I met an amazing community of folks that were sharing all these interesting lessons uh, with me. And I had, I just wanted to share these, these lessons I was learning from all these individuals that I crossed paths with during my journey into hunting. And that's how Chasing Food Club got started, sharing those stories. The hunter conservationist is fairly new. Uh, well, Mark, you've been writing and everything for quite a while, so you've kind of been, you've been at it. Um, but tell us about what you guys are doing and, and why you started that. Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, we uh, launched the uh, Hunter Conservationist podcast uh, July 1st last year. Um, we're up to like 15 episodes now. Uh, the primary impetus behind, you know, creating the podcast um, was some inspiration, um, you know, from Dylan and, and um, Mike and Kelly, actually, you know, seeing that they, you know, had the guts to get out there and put themselves out there and start these conversations and, and share their lives with people and, and uh, so that inspired me to start writing uh, a few years ago, outdoor writing, and then eventually to start into the podcast. Um, the podcast is about um, conservation science and responsible hunting in Canada. I felt there was a big gap in this nation um, that was talking about the Canadian um, conservation and hunting and, and issues and stuff in this country. And it was something that, uh, that I saw as an opportunity to fill um, to create the conversation for this this nation. Anything you want to add? Yeah, hey, I'm uh, I'm Curtis. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Hunter Conservationist podcast. Um, pretty much his brainchild. 
he started it all and he's the brains behind the operation but you can see he's a little bit salt and peppery so he needed some help with the technical side so that's that's where i come in i i, I run run the equipment but uh yeah no beautiful well i think we'll kind of jump right into things oh dylan sorry i forgot about you you don't really matter <laughs> well, you, everybody, everybody knows already, who you are anyways so. yeah just, yeah yeah uh, well eat wild yeah no uh, but eat wild started maybe seven years ago to try and make hunting more accessible to urban folks and through a series of workshops and courses uh a couple years ago, I took on starting a podcast, which I was like hopelessly underestimated the challenge involved with recording, which is kind of pathetic, seeing as the, like some of my very best friends in the world are recording artists and are engineers and stuff. And I like I just thought you could record a podcast with this iPhone next to your you know in the tent next to the river. We like yeah, we had a great day sheep hunting, and uh, what did we learn today? Um, so it's it's evolved since then. I'm slowly progressing and improving and and uh, trying to get better recordings. And really, I'm just trying to tell stories along the way about hunting and adventures. And uh, Jenny, my hunting partner, asked when we were doing our we were just coming back from a bison hunt, and she said, "What like what's what's like what's your podcast about? Is it like is it supposed to be educational or funny?" And I'm like, "It's supposed to be both, right? Just about adventures." That's so anyway, that's what I'm trying to do. I think I found my niche, just being a goofball and uh, see how it works. Yeah, nice. Um, and uh, storytelling is kind of what we want to get into next. And with the theme of why is hunting so hard, um, we figured we would sort of focus first on the uh, sort of the physical and the mental side of things, because I think we can all relate to that. And um, we've, you know, I know Kelly's got some good stories uh, just through our hunting career, through all the the ups and the downs and, and that. So Kelly, um, maybe start off and give us a couple of uh, your, your physical and and uh mental challenges yeah for sure um like from the physical side of things i think the most physically demanding hunt that uh, i've had has been the first time we went up north um alaska highway hike in for sheep first try kind of you know let's see let's see what happens um we're driving up there and i've kind of got my trail book and and they're like you know are you gonna be able to find the trailhead do we know where we're actually going i'm like yeah you know look at the black dots it's just it's right here so we get up there, can't find the trailhead. We end up finding a trailhead, go down there a ways. We find the river. I'm like, yeah, I think we're going, you know, this is looking pretty good. Horse trail, it, it kind of splits up all the horses. You know, once they get down to the river, they kind of do their own thing. The guide splits up. They kind of work in a group, and then they'll get back together on the other side and take off. Mike was actually, you know, he had the right... Uh, train of thought because he he saw the saddle and the mountain that was in the distance and he, he said you know that guaranteed the trail goes up through here we should just push along and um you know we had a couple me myself and garrett with us we ultimately said no nah, i think we should just follow the river back we'll get to the y and then we'll follow the one we're supposed to be on that took a good day or two out of our our trip like it, it was just a mess trying to get around this Y and then we're hiking on river rock and just, you know, it's, it's a physical struggle with all that weight. Um, you know, that took about two days off of our, our eight to 10 day hunt. And, um, we didn't come out of that hunt with a, with a sheep or anything. We actually switched it into a elk elk hunt later on, but, um, you know, just having that weight on you and, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint is what we always heard from sheep hunters. Um, so, you know, it's a super cool experience. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, take that back for anything. Um, but I think I lost about eight to 10 pounds 
on that trip. I was losing a pound a day. We never had a chance to just set the gear down, set a camp, and just, it, we were setting down camp, pulling it up, setting down camp, pulling it up. It was just, you know, that, that, that part of it was super hard physically. Um, yeah. I mean, physically, I think that that's the top of my list. Um, from a mental perspective, um, you know, you can go multiple ways mentally. I think mentally and physically is all tied together with that with that um, challenge and, and kind of, you know, that's, I think, why we do, we hunt quite a bit is to kind of search for that challenge and adventure. But um, I was kind of going to go with this uh, spring bear we got a couple years ago. You know, we were out last late, you know, when we were talking to people, they said, um, it'll be the last 15 minutes of light is when you're going to see that bear. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Pulled the trigger, thought I had a good shot. Bear took off. Sun went down totally. You know, by the time we gave it 20 minutes, a half an hour to kind of, okay, let's go down and check it out. It was like dark. We had headlamps on. Um, did not end up finding the bear that night. Didn't see any sign, no blood on the um, trail. No fur, no bullet mark, no nothing. Um, so that, you know, that was a long ride home. Um, and we were a ways out there. And I knew that uh, we were going to have to go back in the morning or I was going to have to go back in the morning. I, I couldn't even really sleep that night. Um, I figured I would take my dog with me. So what happened, I got up um, about four in the morning, got Norris in the truck, took off, uh, made it up there, and I found him, um, I found the bear within like 20 minutes. It was a good shot. It, um, you know, killed the bear right away and um, ultimately harvested all the meat and used it all. And, you know, the story ended well, but mentally that 12-hour that period was just, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure a lot it, it of doesn't people feel good. Have, yeah, have been in similar positions where you just don't know what happened and there's no way to find out until the sun comes up the next day. Well, and a lot of times you don't find it. Yeah, and exactly. And that extends much beyond that. Yep. You know, it's not just one day, it's a whole year or yeah. two or three that it stays with you. Yeah. So, I mean, my tip for recovering an animal, if you do, if you find yourself in that situation, is bring your dog with you the next morning because. You know, I, I was even headed in the wrong direction. He kept pulling me over here, and sure enough, Bear was kind of um, in a depression in the ground, and I don't know if I would have ever found it. So, uh, Most physically demanding thing I think that ever happened to me in hunting was uh, when I was in my, my early 20s. So I would have been in the peak of my, my physical prime at that time for running around in the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, hunting elk, and... Um, my uncle and I, on opening morning, uh, hiked into a basin where I'd got a bull the year before. Uh, no bull there. We pushed on up into the mountain, um, and we were hunting um, above an avalanche slide. And this was a really unique area in the Rockies. Normally, you think of the avalanche chutes just being like these narrow strips. This was the entire side of a mountain, probably about a kilometer and a kilometer and a half long of just alder. The whole mountain was, was an avalanche chute. We worked our way across the top of it. Bull was bugling. Long story short, we got the bull. We put him down on the far side of, um, of this big avalanche chute. We went over. We processed him, completely deboned him with the plan of 
of side cutting through the alder and catching the mountain, the horse trail in the basin where I'd got the bull the year before and then take them out that way down to the trucks. If you've ever got caught in alder ever in your life, you cannot contour across it, you know, because that stuff is growing out of the mountain like this. It keeps forcing you to duck under and duck under. And um, we got caught in this this sea of alder. And I mean, like eight hours later, we were in this. We didn't know where we were. We didn't know how long it was to the bottom. Um, we had, uh, I fell on this hillside and, and I actually, the alders with a big pack and the big, it was the biggest bull I've ever got. Um, I actually fell down into the alders and I was suspended in the air. You know those films and stuff where they find the pilots from World War II and their chutes hanging in the skeleton? Well, that would have been me if my uncle hadn't have been there. And um, so he's trying to get me out from these uh, big spring-loaded alders, the big the antlers let go, the sword tine flew back, hit him in the forehead, laid him out cold on the side of the mountain. You know, we, we struggled, like we physically struggled. There reached a point where, where he was actually, my uncle was physically spent and uh, he had to drop his pack on the mountain full of meat. And uh, I kept pushing. And I had to stop and I had to keep taking meat off my pack, dropping it and dropping meat off my pack. When we finally got to the bottom uh, in the pitch dark, we had a river to cross, we got to camp. Um, I have never, ever been physically spent like that in my life. I was dehydrated. The next morning I couldn't talk, I could barely walk. My muscles were suffering from dehydration. We never went back on that mountain. We never, it, we never went back on it. We never got the bull off. Like we had meat up at the kill site that we couldn't get. Um, I just physically couldn't do anything, you know, the next day. I've ne that's never happened to me in, in my life. Um, yeah, and that was, that was definitely the, the most physically uh, stressful thing. I mean, that was, that was mentally hard too. I remember, you know, the morning sitting in camp and I could look up actually where the bull was and I could see it. And I'm basically, I'm on my knees, like dry heaving. I felt so sick that there was an animal up there that I never got all the meat off the mountain. So um, mental and physical. Um, probably the toughest mental thing I've ever gone through in hunting. Um, you know, I'm third generation hunter. I grew up in a long line of uh, hunters and trappers and, um, I actually quit hunting once for a couple of years. And the reason I quit hunting is because of two people that are in this room. One of them's my son and one of them's my daughter right there. And <clears throat> both these kids' births did not go well, especially hers. I sat out in a waiting room for two hours not knowing if my daughter or my wife was alive. Like I went through that. Um, I had problems with that afterwards and I broke down and I became really hypersensitive to the whole life and death thing with two little kids and having gone through nearly losing two of them, I could not cope with hunting. For a couple of years, I just couldn't put myself out there. Um, but it was actually these two kids as they grew up and their love for the outdoors was just natural that brought me back and brought me back into it. But, um, you know, I spent a couple of years wanting to be out there and not wanting to be out there. It was a really confusing time. And yeah, mentally, that's the toughest thing I've ever gone through. Chris? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to draw a goat draw three years in a row. And so... 
the most physically demanding hunt was that three years of almost every single weekend going out every day for a goat. Every day we went out was he probably... He was three. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, every day that we went out was just physically draining. Um, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with where mountain goats live. They're at the top of the gnarliest, steepest places you can get to, uh, which is what makes them so cool. But there was one day in particular, and it was one of the last days uh, in the third year of this kind of three-year goat hunt that I was I was trying to get a uh, get a billy. And I grew up, and and years before I was born, my mom shot this big, beautiful billy. Late season, just filled out, had the big furry pantaloons and I was like I want a late season goat which means late November three feet of snow up in the mountains and this one day that we went out we had spotted them the night before um, put them to bed we got up really early and of course in November you don't have a lot of daylight so we left well in the dark started making our way up this mountain we're in snow this deep we get up to, I, I'm pretty sure it was an old burn, hey, where we were going up. And so it was just deadfall after deadfall after deadfall. It was nasty going. And we pushed for eight hours climbing over deadfall. We, we actually had like mountaineering crampons that we would put on so we could walk 20 feet above the ground on all this deadfall and not slip off. It was that nasty. And it kept going forever and ever and ever. And it was one of those, those mountains that was a, a false summit. So every little bit, you're like, ah, I can see skyline. There's the top. You get up to the top, and it's like, oh, man, there's another, like, 500 yards until the next summit. So it's like we go, 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 go. We get up to the top. There's another one, another one. And it was just, it went on forever. And we finally get to the top, and we just crest the last little bit, and we kind of get into this basin. And right there, 50 yards away, there's the herd of goats. And it was just a mad scramble. They kind of see us and they start moving. And I ended up throwing the rifle up, made a shot at the one Billy. He was like, hey, the one at the back, that's the Billy. Take him. So I made my shot. Clean miss. Right over his back at 50 yards. All that effort, three years in, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, being late season, it was like we, we basically watched this herd of goats go up over the next next ridge and kind of drop off the backside. And we're like, well, it's going to get dark in about two hours, so we need to turn around and get back down. So we, we spent all that time getting up there, missed the goat, and slogged all the way back down. That was probably the most physical physical time I've, I've ever had. And mentally, it was actually this last season. I had a buddy... He's only been hunting for about two years. Um, he called me one day, and he was pretty distressed. He said that he had shot a whitetail, and he had wounded it, and it got away on him. He's like, hey, man, I know you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. Can you come and give me a hand finding this buck? I was like, sure, absolutely. So we went out in the morning. We left pretty early, got out, and he, he was like, I'm not going to take you to where I shot it. He's like, because there was a really good blood trail. I'm going to take you to where I lost the blood trail, and then we can go from there. Uh, we hadn't had a lot of snow. This was mid-November. We hadn't had a lot of snow at the time. So it was really, really hard to see where he was going. Um, the blood trail dried up pretty quick. And there wasn't a lot of snow to track where he went. And we basically spent from just about dark to dark 
following his footprints. And he kind of stepped back and was like, can you do this? Cause I don't know what I'm doing. And, and it was to the point where trying to follow this buck through the woods, you'd see a track going this way and you're like, okay, 24 inches in front of that track, there should be another track. So I would sit there and I would scan the ground, scan the ground, scan the ground. Oh, that looks like a track. I'd move on. And I went dark to dark track by track. And we ended up not finding him. And that was, that was a pretty tough day. You know, we both got in the truck at the end of the day and he spent the next three days looking for him and just couldn't find him. And that was, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty mentally draining from the fact of losing an animal, but also just the mental strain of being that focused for that long, trying to find every single track to see where this buck went. That was just pretty draining. But Jenny. Okay. So, Mike, I would argue that mentally and physically, it's kind of the same, right? Because you guys have heard of, like, old man strength, right? They're like, how is this old dude beating me up the girl's grind or something like that? And it's because, well, he's mentally conditioned. He knows this pain is over, and he's experienced it over and over again. So in my two humble years of hunting, I think I experienced kind of two moments that, that really kind of changed things. I'll let the stories kind of blend in together. I'll let the stories kind of blend in together. Oh my God, I sound so much clearer. Excuse oh, yeah. that. Okay. So the first point is I experienced the valley of despair. And my second point I'm going to bring up is clear and concise communication without ego. Okay. And this, is, this is all has to do with mental, which kind of drives into physical. Because... Has anyone heard of the D. Kruger effect? It's like this graph. And it, it talks about kind of your level of knowledge versus your confidence. Okay. <laughs> and this man was brilliant because on the graph, when you just first start hunting, you don't know squat. So your level of confidence is on peak of Mount Stupid. <laughs> that was me, my first year of hunting. My first year of hunting, I did a fly-in caribou hunt with Kaylin, who's in the room here. We didn't know squat, but we got it done. Second year of hunting, you decline because you gain a little bit of knowledge and then you hit the valley of despair. It may take you your first season to experience this. It may happen in your second season. And for some, you may be stuck in the valley of despair for years. And for me, it happened spring bear 2019. I was on the island with Tash, who's also in the room. And let's just say, I never saw an ass that big again. It was the biggest bear I've ever seen, and it got away. Are you talking about Tash? <laughs> <laughs> Tash, you're looking really good, by the way. You shed quite a bit of weight. Congratulations. <laughs> so it wasn't you. But, and you know, I was stuck, after that spring bear hunt, I was stuck in that valley of despair for a while, because the more I knew about hunting, I was just, this is hopeless, I'm never gonna get anywhere, I'm never gonna see that huge giant bear ever again. I kept chasing that high, and I never shot a bear that spring season, because I let every small bear pass. And I was so defeated, and I drew a, a tag for a mountain goat. That was my second year. But you know, with this graph, it says, once you're stuck in the valley of despair, there's hope of getting out. You just gain a little bit more knowledge and your confidence level will go up. It'll never be a mount level stupid ever again, but it'll go up. 
And so by the time I started, I got ready for this mountain goat hunt. Second year in, I got a little cocky because my confidence level went up. And I never trained with a pack all summer. So <laughs> I, was, I was basically dying, but there's hope. Because day eight and nine of this hunt, your body just accepts the pain and you just hustle on for 12 hours a day. It was a four-day pack out. So I guess my point there is, if any of y'all are in this valley of despair right now, and you hit that wall, just keep going, because it's, it's going to get better as you gain more knowledge, and you'll dig your way out of there. And that's mental and physical. And my second most valuable point that I kind of learned mentally is clear, concise communication with, without ego. Because um, I think the biggest lesson I learned is, I'm going to throw down some fighting words right now, but uh, hunting is all ego. And, and so it should be, because it's a noble sport. You know, who can say, I tracked, I killed, I butchered, and I cooked the animal I'm feeding you? You know, most folks in this two kilometer radius would be like, that's some Lord of the Rings shit. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so it, it, it's, it's and, and you know, so when we're communicating with each other, it's a lot of ego, and ego and ego is never good. It, it never goes well. And I've had some of the mentally most challenging things that have happened to me is during hunting is through the tough conversations I've had to have in finding my hunting partner, having patience with hunting partners, leaving buddies behind and saying, hey, I'm not going out with you this season. Or, or, or telling somebody I felt uncomfortable in a situation. You know, before I went on, on my mountain hunt, Nolan Osborne, who's also in this room, the best piece of advice he gave me was, hey, if you ever feel uncomfortable or unsafe, speak up. And ego gets in the way of that, and you don't want to speak up, and you end up coming back with injuries that last for months, or you end up falling and getting hurt. Or, and so you got to put that ego aside and have these honest, clear, and concise conversations. And that took me two years to learn, because a lot of times I left there, I sat during hunting season with my ego bruised, sitting there with the bags of mixed, mixed emotions, um, because I wasn't able to speak up and speak up in a clear, concise manner. And, and also, not only speak up in a clear, concise manner, but be empathetic. And understand that, you know, if somebody's telling me something that's hard, that's hurting my ego and hurting my feelings, it's probably not that easy for them to communicate that with me and being compassionate. And so, you know, at the end of the day, if we put all our gear at home and all our guns and bows, we're all just trying to eat some meat. So, that's my experience. <laughs> Nice. Dylan? Um, I'm pretty lucky. I, I, got, I feel pretty privileged because I'm, I'm a physically fit 43-year-old man that quit smoking a long time ago now, so I can actually climb mountains. And I, yeah, I, I got to, I, I if I just kind of go at her, I just plod away and I can get wherever I need to go. And I, that's 43? 44 in a couple days. God. Um, but, I, but I feel pretty privileged. And, I, and, and single. Uh, thanks ladies um, he's part of the raffle prize <laughs> yeah, um, but I do feel pretty lucky like like I, I I'm very fortunate so like I can do some types of hunts that are maybe more uh, not, I wouldn't say aggressive but require more stamina and strength and I feel lucky to be able to do those hunts but but what I what I thought was cool this year and, and some of you would have met my friend Larry he's 82 years old and uh, I actually grew up hunting with a bunch of old guys. Well, they weren't old. They were 44 when I started hunting with them. Now it's been, you know, lots of years, like 30 years. So now they're, they're getting on, right? 
And what's really cool is seeing them transition how they hunt uh, and still being successful in their later years. And so you don't necessarily need to go climb a goat mountain to be successful. It doesn't have to be hard in that way. This year, Larry, at our, our whitetail camp, we had the most challenging whitetail hunt uh, that we've had, well, we ever, we've ever had. There's just, there's very few whitetails in the valley we've hunted for, for 30 years. And so what was so impressive is that Larry, he had psyched out this spot, which he's no doubt been hunting probably for 40 years. He knows this one particular spot that typically holds deer and big bucks. And, and he set up his little ground blind in there and he put a, uh, some alfalfa out and maybe a salt block out in his spot there. And he, and he may have even baited it, you know, a month or two before it kind of, you know, got in there and tended his bait on his, which is legal in British Columbia. You're allowed to bait deer and especially for an 82 year old man. And anyways, so he, he dedicated his whole, uh, um, trip this year to sitting in his blind and waiting for things to come together. And he had, he had, and he had seen no deer for three straight days. He tried another spot out. And then on maybe like day six or seven, he, he went back to his blind and he sat there and he said he saw something he'd never seen before in his, you know, 50 years of hunting in this valley. There was like a full on deer party that happened right over top of his salt block clay. Big bucks ripping by, does everywhere, little bucks going by, like all like all the deer in the valley just happened to be like like ripping around in front of in front of Larry. And he said he 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 couldn't get a shot at the big one, and he shot the biggest white-tailed deer that I've ever seen come out of that valley. So the adjusting your physical approach or you just don't have to be physical necessarily and aggressive about you know how you approach it you just have to be kind of smarter and persistent i think i think that's one thing that i'm thinking about but the mental part which is probably on the same actually on the same hunt i could just relay so i really love whitetail hunting and i i i i approach it uh as i recently learned well I guess I, I, I hunt white, I, I didn't know this, but maybe you're just supposed to sit around and wait for white tails to come to you. But I was, I was taught to just still hunt, like just walk through the woods and sneak up on them and shoot them. And I was taught to do that at a young age. And so I like doing that. I like trying to sneak up on them. Um, but it's harder and harder to do if there's no deer around. And there's fewer and fewer deer right now. So, so over the course of a week in my favorite hunting spots I've been hunting for 30 years, and I have perfect hunting conditions. So sometimes, like, if you get, like, a bit of rain on the ground and it softens up and you can kind of sneak around, and especially if it's raining a little bit and it takes the sound down for everything, you, so, like, there's no cracks and crunches, and, like, you can really sneak, right? And, and so I was sneaking through all my favorite spots this year, and I didn't see a deer on a couple of days. Like, didn't see a single deer. When normally I would see 14 to 20 deer in these spots and see a number of small bucks or little bucks or whatever and get lots of excitement and opportunities and maybe screw up a couple times and not get, not, not get a shot off. But this year I went through like seven days of like honestly seeing like two or three deer and my, my, my heart was breaking because I was seeing so few deer. And, I, and so mentally that was challenging. Like just like knowing that the ecosystems are changing, things are changing and that, that breaks my heart. But the other thing about hunting that I tell myself over and over is that, like, I know, how to, I know how to do this. After 30 years of doing this, I'm pretty good at sneaking along in these spots that I know deer live. And if I just keep doing the same technique over and over and reapplying it, reapplying it, it might take seven, eight, 10 days, but eventually there's gonna be a buck bedded down at the base of a tree in a deery spot and it's nice and quiet and he's gonna stand up and look at you and you're gonna get an opportunity to shoot it. And so I saw one mature buck Happened to be on the last day. It actually had to be at like nine 
58 and my turnaround time was 10 o'clock on that day. I had to hit, I said, told myself 10 o'clock, head down. And I looked at my watch at 9.58 and I was like, I should just bust it. And I was like, ah, I got two more minutes. I'm going to finish hiking down this little valley or this little ridge I'm on. And sure enough, this, this deer stood up and I, and I got him. And that was at like 10 o'clock. So the persistence and just kind of applying what you know that works and sticking with it. And for me, that's, that's mentally challenging to do it, but it can be successful. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the mental and physical side of things, I think, as we were talking earlier, is only sort of a small portion of what makes hunting hard. And I know you got a lot of feedback through Instagram and stuff like that and some different views on why people thought hunting was hard. And I know um, for Kelly and I, sometimes it's the unexpected things like bear spray blowing up in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Your dog jumping off a cliff. Yep. A, a knee twist and <laughs> yeah. having to like... Yeah, and having to drag your leg for 14 leg. kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> took so, a whole day to get out. Yeah, there's a lot of things that come up when you're hunting. And as you said, as we were talking today, there's, there's more to it. So what other things have come up for you guys other than the mental and physical side of things? I liked where Jenny was talking about ego. Because it was one thing that I, I put it out there on Instagram saying like, why is hunting hard? Get your feedback. We're doing this live recording. And one of the things that came back, and, I, and I, I was trying to make sense of it, was that a bunch of people were saying, well, hunting should be hard. It should be challenging. I want to climb the biggest mountain. I want to shoot the biggest animal. I want to like make it hard. And if it wasn't hard, I wouldn't enjoy it. And, and I had a hard time. Like, like, heck, if we could have shot a bison on the first day and spent like seven days like hanging around exploring the north and snowmobiling around and backcountry skiing, like, I'm all in for that. So like, I don't actually process that like, it's gotta be challenging, it's gotta be hard, but I'm curious if anybody like, has that feeling of like, I, you need that challenge to make it better for you. Yeah, I think um, for me, the, that side of it, I, I think in, in those really challenging, difficult situations, you often learn something about yourself. You know how far you can push your body. You know the types of conditions that you can live in. And I think when you come back from something like that, Jesse and Tash know what it's like to sleep outside in minus 30 or whatever uh, next to a campfire without any shelter and, and survive something like that and uh, be in like a very unforgiving um, part of the world and come back from something. I think you you definitely change as a person when, when you, you know, you come up against challenges like that. So I think there is a good side of it too, but yeah, I'm kind of in both camps. Um, I don't, I don't know about the, I, I guess generalizing from the ego perspective. I, I don't know. I don't approach it from an ego perspective, but I, I feel like with the bigger challenge, um, there's an element of almost like wanting to respect the animal through that big, biggest challenge. Um, and like just the memories, uh, you know, my, uh, I think we did a quick video here. I can't remember that was for one camper, I think, but, um, my grandpa passed away last year and he, he was going through dementia and it got super, you know, it was super challenging at the end there. But like every time I bring up a picture of the, the, the elk, or, um, you know, tell him some stories, he would pull out those stories like nothing. It was always like the hardest ones, like where he was, you know, packing a moose out and he's fell in the back, fell in the river and he couldn't get his pack off. And like, he's got buddies helping him out. And, um, there's just something that strikes me about those kind of stories that you're like, tell your kids. And, um, I just, yeah, there's just so many levels of this that, um, that, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, I had an LEH doe tag this year. I had tons of research on this area. I went up there, I harvested a doe, and that I don't 
really complain about that either. So I'm kind of in both camps. I don't, I don't mind both sides. And one of the things I'll add, add to this discussion, I think I've gone through some cycles. I, I, I bet you can all kind of relate to this um, that seems to be making hunting hard is um, the whole growth of social media into hunting, I think, has added a layer. I mean, there's a good part to it because we're communicating and, you know, we're using it as a vehicle to learn. But it's also created another, turned up the notch a little bit on making hunting hard. Yeah, I mean, see, see a few heads doing this, right? Like you get caught in this, you know, you see all these other people having success and, you know, there's the meme out there, the old lady looking at the computer is like, oh, apparently I'm the only one in North America that didn't get a white-tailed buck this year. And, and it, you know, it's, you, you get caught up and you feel that and you take that pressure. You know, I've done this. I've taken that pressure out, right? And it's this pressure to perform. You got to get something. You got to, people are like, you know, you know, how did you do? How did you do on that elk trip? And it's like, well, I didn't get anything. And, um, and, and you just come back and you're going, oh, so-and-so got, he got one, you know, and it's just, it just, it seems to be making hunting harder than what it needed to be. And it wasn't until, you know, I just sort of like stepped back from that because I just get sucked into that vortex a little bit. And they just said, just release that and let it go. Um, not follow a lot of stuff on social media. And it just sort of seemed to like changed my success because it changed my expectations, uh, you know, a little bit. So I don't know if you'd agree that social media is making hunting harder. Yeah. Here. He's flipping through his phone right now going, oh, look at yeah. this buck, man. I didn't get one like that. Yeah. It definitely has like a false expectation aspect to it for sure. You know, I, I, I kind of see that in the sheep, like when we were going out for the sheep hunt and, you know, I don't know. It just uh, it seems easier when you're scrolling through your Instagram, but when you're out there and you're doing it yourself, it's not easy. Um, what do they say? The sheep you take is going to be as old as when you started. You know, it's going to take you eight years basically to get a sheep. So, um, yeah, I think there's definitely a false expectation around the social media vibe. Yeah, and you, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt too. I mean, you, yeah. you look at, you know, you, you might see a guy that posts, oh, I got a big white-tailed buck this year. I got a big bull elk. Oh, I got a really nice sheep. And it's like, oh, that's <clears throat> once a week he posted one of those photos. It's like yeah. the amount of effort and days that he put in to get each one of those. It's yeah. like, it, it's not like, oh, yeah, I went out on Monday and I shot a nice white-tailed buck. Wednesday I went out and I got my elk. I got my sheep on Friday. It's like there was probably a lot of a lot of time and effort, but you just see the the reward of all that that yeah. hard effort put into it. Yeah. So yeah, and that's kind of the unfortunate thing is you don't get that story um, behind those pictures. So except I grew up in a family where I had stories like, yeah, your uncle and I we went up to such and such a road in the morning. We got two bull moose right on the road. We came home, <laughs> we hung them up, and then uh, yeah, we went out for an evening hunt, and I got this seven point bull elk. <laughs> I mean, four years and I still haven't got one yet. So. Yeah, a little luck. Dylan, I don't know who commented on your photo, and we don't know their situation, but uh, I fantasize about driving along a road and having a deer, anything, bear, jump out and bang and go home and bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> like, I don't want to climb a mountain if I don't have to. Yeah. Unfortunately, because we live in an area, the further you travel, the better chance of success. Like people are like, how did you shoot a caribou and a goat in your first two years? And I'm like, well, that's because we went freaking far. Like, mm -hmm. like I think where we treaded for the goat, like nobody's ever, I, I, 
long story short, I had to call a CEO because I thought I cliffed a goat that was half alive still. And they're like, where are you, honey? And I looked at a map. I'm like, I don't know. These mountains are not named. And I was by myself. But anyways. Um, so I fantasize about that. And um, just one more thing about why hunting is hard is I didn't grow up around hunters. So I don't know anybody that hunted. And I'm addicted to mountain hunting and trying to find a partner ready to go at certain dates. This is worse than online dating. Y'all think Tinder is hard? <laughs> try, try, because everybody has their own clicks and crews and you're just new and you're trying to prove yourself. Trying to find somebody that knows what they're doing to go with you to these things, is, it's tough. Because yeah. you have to be compatible and nobody should take it personally. Somebody likes to talk, I don't like to talk. Don't take it personally. Somebody you trust. You can rely on them. Safety first. Yeah. Yeah. It's like trying to find a bass player. Yeah. <laughs> Just never show up. And the thing is, take your time. It's okay. Relationships take a long time to build. <laughs> you got something to add to that? Or? Put it <laughs> no? out there. Yeah. Why are you laughing, huh? <laughs> yeah. I think Everybody's looking at me. Yeah, I, I, I was still on the ego trip thing, and I and I, I was just thinking about what I was gonna. I had a, I had an ego thing happen, and it was kind of profound for me on this last trip. So I I missed back from bison hunt, and uh, it's it's the first time we've done this, and, and so the, the hunt went pretty well. We actually uh, kind of fluked a bull on like day four of the hunt, and it's a, it was a it was a bull um, that was standing in the middle of the road, and one of the guys rode up on a snow machine and got it. And, uh, but up till then, uh, my hunting partner and I, Jenny had been skiing through the woods on our skis, following bison tracks and sneaking through the woods. Like we're whitetail hunting bison. And, and it was really fun. It was really fun to com- combine these two things. Right. Obviously. And, uh, and on day five, we were on tracks and we're skinning up. And this, in this day, uh, Sean, the film guy, we had a cameraman come on this hunt with us and he was following me on snow, snow, snowshoes. So. We were on fresh tracks, and we're sneaking up, and, and uh, we end up kind of figuring on where these bison are going, and we, we take a little tack above them and sneak across and hear crack, and next thing you know, I, I see a bison down below us. And so I sort of ski down to, a, to a, uh, a, a tree where I can get a rest, and I lean over uh, a branch on a tree, and I'm looking down, and I, I see one bison go by, and then I lock in on, on the opening, which I saw the bison go by. Now... In previous days of hunting, I, I'd figured out that when you see one bison go by, don't follow that bison and try and find a shot at it. Stay on the spot that you saw it go through and wait for the next one to come through because they're like a train going by, one after another. And they're also like a sheet of like four by eight piece of plywood going by. Uh, and you can't actually pick a spot where like the legs, like I couldn't even tell between the ass and the leg, like the head and the ass. It was, they're pretty nondescript, especially in sort of dark, darker timber. So I'd figured this out by day five, just stick on the spot and wait for the next one to step in, pick a spot behind the leg, shoot the lungs, dead bison. So bang, shot goes off, film crews behind me. I'm like, I think that was a hundred percent shot. I feel totally good about it. And, uh, we sit around and we wait for half an hour because what you do. And then we ski down to the bison and sure enough, it was dead there. Fantastic. And it was a baby bison. It was like a eight month or oh, eight month or I don't know, whenever they would have dropped their calves, like maybe, I don't know, sometime in the spring. So it's a year, not even a yearling, right? So, and I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, oh, well, on one hand, I'm like, it's legal. 
totally cool. Like, so you can shoot cows or or, or 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 bulls, no problem. And you know, but in that moment, I was like, oh man, I wish this was a bigger bison so I could tell the story through social media. And I've got this film crew here, and I'm like, this should be like, this is so much. This would be so cool if this was a bigger animal. And I was like, that's just stupid. Like. Not only is this like 400 pounds of the best meat I'll ever eat in my life, like it, these are grazers, they have fat on them, which is something that us as hunters don't get to experience like ever. So like, and this thing gave itself to me. Like it, 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 it was a gift from the bison gods to us. It was a beautiful clean kill. It's a dead animal. We're halfway up the fricking mountain. So like 2000 pound bull bison's not ideal for packing out on your skis. So like this was a total gift. And, but in that moment, I just like, I was like, I was like, my ego was just like, damn it, this should be a big bull and it'd be way cooler if it was. And then I kind of just like brought myself back from that edge. I'm like, no. And I, and I was like, you know what? I want to tell this story. I'm going to tell, we're going to show this in the video. We're going to show that we got a calf. We're going to talk about it. I'm talking about it here. Like that it's not all about big bucks and big bulls. It's about filling your freezer. And, and I did it. I hunted the way I wanted to hunt. I still hunted up on this bison. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't fluke it in the middle of the road. And for me, it's, it was a better hunt. There was challenge there. Figured it out over five days, and to me, that's an, that that is the success is going to be when we well when we enjoyed the tenderloin that night. Like, let me tell you, that was all right. So, anyways, I'm trying to check my ego at the door, and it's hard to do because that social media, like, I'm just dying to post pictures of big dead things on my social media to try and like bump up my numbers, you know, and my likes. But I'm trying not to, I'm trying to control it. Anyways, anything else you guys want to add? Yeah, I mean, one thing, uh, um, Kelly and I were talking about this in the back, about, you know, one of the things that uh, we think that makes hunting hard is um, hunting regulations themselves. The rules that we have to play by make this a very complicated um, endeavor. And the the consequences of breaking the rules are severe, like for punishment on our side and, you know, potentially... Um, you know, losing hunting privileges, but also the cost of an animal that wasn't legally supposed to be taken. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, hunting elk in the in the Kootenays when it was like a three-point or better bull. And it was just like every year, I just like, I got a bull. It's like, yeah, that's a 3.5, whatever. It's, it's legal, right? And um, hunting was easy. Hunting elk was easy with those regulations. And then they brought in a six-point regulation. And, you know, a tine had to be a certain length in order to make it a legal six point. Now all of a sudden I'm hunting elk like I would be hunting sheep. You're going, oh, I got to get the spotting scope out and put it on this thing and, you know, and this sort of stuff. Um, Curtis started coming along, getting into hunting. He's young and it's sort of like, uh, you know, there's this, you no, know, it's only a three, no, it's only a four point. Okay, get ready. Right? That's a button. No, uh, uh, it's only a five point. Year after year after year, it's like I never could put him on. That is a legal six point bull. Get ready. And that made hunting, you know, very, very difficult. And, and that's just an artifact of, you know, wildlife management and, and the numbers of hunters out there, like the rules we put on themselves. But um, it does make things a lot harder now. He still hasn't put me on a six-point bull, by the way. I'm still waiting for that. How many of you guys are new hunters within, like, the last couple of years? Nice. Good. How many of you guys have mentors to help you through this whole thing? A couple of that. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Kelly and I went through this whole thing the first couple of years, at least before we started doing the podcast, kind of just like winging it basically and just learning from 
repeated mistakes over and over and over again. And you had a little experience before. A little bit, but not much. It's not like we had someone to take us out and no. show us stuff and, and give us uh, tips and that. But it, it is very rewarding to learn this stuff on your own from your own mistakes and sort of grow that way. But that being said, when you have people with a lot of, you know, experience, it's nice to to have some advice from people who've been hunting for a while. So through all the mistakes that you guys have made, what kind of advice do you have for brand new hunters that are going out there? They're feeling discouraged because it is challenging and it is hard. So uh, yeah, what advice, Mark? I think do you got the most? Or who's one of you? We've got well, the most he's experience. only 28. Yeah. Four. So. I didn't want to make you feel old. That's why I said that. <laughs> no, 54. Yeah. Um, you know, I getting prepared for this podcast, I was thinking back on that and, and sort of going, okay, at this point in my life, um, what are the things that have changed and brought success to me? Because um, I feel like I'm, I'm like... I'm peaking now, like I've, I'm hitting my stride in my hunting career now. I'm just, I'm having a great time. I'm filling freezers, you know, and sort of, I, I, I reflect back on this and go like, okay, hey, what is it? How, how do I explain this? And basically I, you know, I've I broken the way I hunt down into a system. And basically I start, and I think a lot of you probably do that, you know, that have hunted with basically developing a hunt plan. Like it starts in the office back at home, you know, where you're looking at maps, you're looking at Google Earth, you're looking for, you know, reports in the area or you're scanning, you know, the forums and stuff to see what, you know, knowledge that you can build. You're looking at the maps, you know, there's water here, there's some heavy timber here, there's a bench there, there's some open, maybe this is where they're going to feed in the evening. And so you get that plan, you know, developed. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I do. That's the approach I start. One of the things that I've added to that is I've started adding multiple areas. So when I go into my hunt, it's like, this is area one, two, three, four, five, six. So I, as I check off, like this, I got my areas pre-planned out and I'm like, yeah, I've been doing that. Like mentally for a lot of my life now google earth has come along and I, I got some more tools i didn't have when i was a kid and then it's sort of like okay when i go out then what am i doing and what i'm doing is is you know this area that i've identified somewhere in there in a in a corner tucked away is probably a buck or a bull that i'm looking for i gotta cover all this ground to find the zone where these animals are living so i'm going through these areas and I'm collecting intel, just just like a like a military scout. You know, what is this telling me? What is that telling me? This is there. They're not here. Oh, there's a trail. Okay, something was here yesterday. Their poop pellets are this, which is telling me they're eating this type of plant material. So I need to go there. So I'm constantly on a daily system, sort of like what is the on the ground information telling me? I'm feeding it back into this and adjusting my plan. The end of the day. What did all this information tell me? What's my plan for tomorrow? And 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 I just sort of, that's a system that I've developed that I, I, I apply over and over. And I'm kind of like, that's what I've been going through. And that's definitely definitely been part, part of my success. I think the other part of it is uh, I broadened out what I hunt. We were talking about this. I think British Columbia is very heavily focused on big game. And a few years ago, I'm just like, 
rifle stays at home, grab the camp gear and stuff, shotgun 22, and I'll actually go on like extended trips and I do nothing but hunt grouse and rabbits. Picked up waterfowl hunting, it's just like the best. Um, you know, a turkey hunt in the springtime and you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, a couple of grouse, you know, a few ducks and a couple of rabbits and all this stuff, it starts to add up and it's like, they're all meals and all of a sudden I'm like, I got a lot more in my freezer, even if I don't get a deer. It's like half a dozen Canada geese and you've got yourself a white-tailed deer, right? So, I mean, that's another part, just sort of expanding, you know, what we have available to us in this province that's really, really uh, changed things for me. Yeah, they, I, I like your, I kind of approach my hunting a bit, I always say, psych, yeah, scientifically, I have a hypothesis of why I think a deer might be there, and then I test the hypothesis. And at the end of every hunt, I, I, I kind of have a habit of kind of, you know, asking myself, what did I learn? Like, what, well, I, within the camp, I usually do this. We, at the end of the day, we say, what did we learn today? Like, what did you learn? What did you pick up? And that, that bits of information that everybody picked up might add up to creating a new hypothesis for the next day that you test out. And then you try that out. I, I, I think it's good to, to try that, just to continue to try new things and figure out what works. And then eventually something works, and then I just try that over and over again. I think you're next in line. Curtis for, Me, hey, for, for tips. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I would I would say my tip is mentor somebody. You know, everyone always wants to be like, hey, I want to go out with somebody who really knows what they're doing. You know, I'm gonna just kind of follow, step back, watch what they're doing, and that's great to an extent. Like I, I grew up for, you know, most most of my childhood and teenage years like hunting behind him and just kind of stepping back and always following always following and in the last couple years I've had uh, some of my best friends really start getting into hunting and they're like hey man like you know everything about hunting like can you take me out and show me and and to myself I'm like wow geez like I don't know that much but to somebody who doesn't have as much experience you're that next person and I've probably learned as much if not more taking my friends out and being pushed into that guide position that the guy who's who's actually like kind of spearheading the hunt as as I did when I was just kind of stepping back and learning it it really forces you to be like okay like we're gonna go up here because of this and yeah even even if you think that you know hey I've only been hunting for two years and one of my buddies wants me to take him out and show him how to start hunting. You've got two years of experience on him, and it will definitely help you learn a lot. Jenny, you got anything to add? Curtis, are you on geese plucking duty? <laughs> Your father just said that you're, you're te- you've taken up upland hunting now, so I'm curious who's plucking all those feathers. We, uh, we scan them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm asking because I got my first experience plucking this season, and man, it was a pain in the butt. I'm like, who's plucking all these birds Ge- you're shooting? Geese are brutal. Ducks aren't bad. Okay. Okay. It was a pheasant, so. Anyways. Option C. Um, I've only been doing this for two years, but I really kind of vibed off what you just said there, because even if you just got a year in, Somebody else is looking for some sort of guidance, and hey, partner up and help each other out. All my mentors, actually, most of my mentors are sitting in this room right now, and I'm so thankful to see all these faces here because I'm excited of the potential community and conversations and friendships that could happen tonight uh, based on this podcast. Like, it doesn't matter in what situation you're all. We're all 
nobody's actually figured out hunting. We can all try to optimize and guess. So help each other out. And I really, I really liked what you said there. Um, yeah, from my perspective, just put one foot out there and then another foot and just just keep walking. We're lucky in BC to have all this public land. And a lot of folks, I think, get paralyzed with like, okay, there's too many options. There's too many places. How do I know where to go to make sure I get an animal? And I kind of switch my thinking to like, well, I'm not thinking, I, I don't really care if I get an animal. I shifted it to like, where can I go to get a good experience or a good day or, you know, um, it's more about what you're going to see that day. And I've started seeing more animals that way. It's kind of like, you know, a roundabout way to get there. Um, but I'm a little, I, I relate to Dylan's comments because, you know, Mike gets a bunch of texts from me all the time of Google Maps, and I've got like a blue line and a red line, and if the wind's going this way, then we're taking the blue line, but if we're going, you know, if it's going the other way, I have all these hypotheses, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm over planning, um, but I kind of feel like when you get a foundation of knowledge there, you can kind of step away from that a little bit, you can start trusting yourself a little bit more. And then things happen a little more naturally, but it's kind of, you definitely have to put yourself out there and just get experience, how, whatever that looks like, however it rolls out, you can't predict it. But once you kind of get that foundation, you can, you can start trusting yourself. And how long have we been hunting now? Five years? Six? I'm just feeling that now. Like I'm just feeling that. And only with certain species, like mule deer, basically. Um, I kind of feel like I know based on the conditions or, or the location where I'm going to see mule deer. And just looking in those spots, I'm, oh, boom, there's a mule deer. Uh, not quite that easy, but like I've had some days like that where it's like, oh, shit, they, I thought there would be one right there. But it takes time. I think if, uh, if I was going to add one more thing, um, you know, so a hunt system, um, like a hypothesis testing it, that's exactly, you know, would have been the words I used just because sort of have a science, science-y background, ecology background, that's how I approach hunting, diversifying what I hunt, more, you know, more small game. And I think the third piece for me, which has really turned hunting around and, and allowed me to see a lot more success in my later part of my life is I've had some things happen hunting, which I actually believe there's something else going on out there than just raw biology um if you want to go back to uh, the podcast i was with with you guys episode 65 or 67 around there um i talked about an experience when my grandfather passed away and um through a white-tailed buck i ended up um my grandfather came to me on, on a hunt um i won't tell that story go go listen to their podcast but there has been things like that that have happened out there um some unexplainable things where it's almost like nature speaking to me wildlife is speaking to me um and i've opened up my mind to that that metaphysically there is something else going on out there that as humans, you know, scientifically, ecologically, we think of these things as biological units just may not be the reality out there. And when I've done that, my frame of mind when I'm hunting is very different. Um, I'm not trying to force the situation. I want to get something. Like, I feel like if I'm, 
I'm forcing, you know, trying to make this happen. I don't see anything. Um, but when I'm in this different frame of mind of kind of just like, what's the force telling me? What's what's clues are being put? What is What am I being told? Where should I go? Like, I'm kind of letting it, it guide me. Things are happening much more naturally and, and more fluid. And, um, you know, I believe a lot more of the animals that, uh, that I've been getting, you know, in the latter part of my years, um, I'm meant to take those animals. They're actually being put in front of me because that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, I don't know if it's just something to do with age. You know, you start to kind of like get more philosophical as, as you get older, but um, there's something out there. There's something very different. And if you can start to feel that when you're hunting, um, all I'd say is don't brush it off. Like open up to those thoughts and those feelings, like sit there in that moment and try and put some meaning to it. Because like I said, I think as far as a hunter and a prey animal out there, there's a larger thing going on. And if you can open up and tap into that, I think things might really change. Absolutely. To wrap things up, because we're running out of time, if hunting was easy, would you still do it? Don't. Um. <clears throat> Let me just put down my beer. <laughs> uh, if hunting was easy, I still. Uh, well, this kind of goes back to that question of like I, I, like I hunt so much that like hunting could be more easy for sure. Like I can think of like where I've hunted mule deer. My since I was a kid, it's a very low success rate for that hunt. Like I think I've killed five bucks in thirty years of going to the same spot and. But I still go back there because I always enjoy the hunt. There's always opportunity. There's always a great hunt involved. And then I've got spots where I've hunted white-tailed deer that I've killed one or more deer every year for 30 years. So the, the hunter's success is much higher in those in the in different areas. Um, both equally challenging hunts, mind you. Like the white-tail hunt is super, super challenging, but it's much more successful. I do I do know spots that I can go hunt mule deer, and it, it'll take a day or two, like to. Um, to get a, a mule deer, but I choose to go climb a mountain and have a different experience. So I think there is something to be said for the experience, like certainly climbing a mountain, camping in the Alpine, spotting animals, like it's such a wonderful experience that everybody should do it. I don't think it's necessarily the most productive hunting, but for sure I'd do it and, and I'll keep doing it. And, but I wish elk hunting was easier because like, <laughs> like I'd like to have an elk every year. And like I came up short like last year and, or, yeah, a couple of years ago it came out short, and it was it was it was challenging going through a year without elk burger in your freezer. I don't know how people do it, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, torture. Anyways, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it goes both ways. You know, I was thinking about, and I was you know in discussion with Dylan today and Mark and Jenny. Um, my answer to this question was originally no, like I would not hunt if it was easy. But if you think. Where what's the baseline of easy and hard? Because right now we're hunting in BC and we're all on public land. How easy is that really going to be? Period. I mean, a, a deer can walk out on the road and you can shoot it, and but you still got to deal with it. You still get like there's a lot of work at home. I mean, if it, it how, how at, at some point farming is probably as easy as it can get if you're you know hunting on non, you know, if you're hunting on private land and it's a very small area 
it's almost like farming or harvesting. We actually did the pig. We added some pigs and we harvested those. And, and even doing that makes you feel a little better than just going to the grocery store and picking up a sealed package of meat, right? So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of shifting this answer a little bit from no to yes, because I feel like the baseline of hunting in BC is already going to be very hard. Um, and you know, if it's a little easier sometimes, I'm not totally opposed to that. It's a different experience and there's nothing wrong with either experience. Um, I keep going back to this doe hunt. Like that was a very, it was still a backpack hunt. So from that perspective, it's hard. You're, I was out there by myself. I packed the deer out. Um, but you know, compared to the hardest hunts we've ever done or like, you know, sheep hunting and all these pinnacle type hunts, that I would rate as easy, and I don't have any problem with that. Well, when we talked about this question, like in my mind, when I when I was like, well, let's let's talk about why is hunting so hard. I wasn't thinking about like the physical challenge of going up a mountain. I was just thinking like, why is it so hard that like I see all these new hunters come through our program, through the Eat Well program, and their their motivation is to fill their freezer, and. And I see these, I have, I, have some, I have some called the first buck banquet, which is anybody that's been a successful hunter has been to the program, comes for dinner nice. after they've had their first success. And we have a big long table dinner and everybody tells their first buck story or first at harvest story. And it's a ton of fun and it's a really welcome, you know, welcoming way to, and supportive way to tell your story. And, but it's, I mean, I have people come that they come back after seven years and they're like, I got it done. I got my first buck and it was a spike buck and I'm so stoked that I tell the story. And and that's kind of what I was thinking about. Like, why is it so, like, it, it is hard to fill your freezer in British Columbia if you dedicate time. Yeah. So when I say, like, hunting could be easier, I mean, I just mean, like, you should be able to get, it'd be great if you could get a buck or a deer in your freezer if you put in a week's worth of effort. Now, a week's worth of effort is not easy. And no. getting that dough was not easy because you did a pile of research and you psyched out the area and you got the draw and you put a backpack on and you got the deer, but it was a relatively easy hunt. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot easier than your sheep, but yeah. Anyway, so I, I think yeah. it's a relative concept of being easy, but yeah. that was where I was coming from when I was thinking about this. Um, Dylan, where are these meal deer spots that you don't want to use? <laughs> I was going to ask you guys, you were saying like, oh, like mentor somebody, right? Like, like I, I, do you guys take people to your best, best spots? And then, and then do you like... <laughs> Everybody's shaking their heads. Depends yeah. how much I like them. Because I, I've made, I'm, like, I want to take people to a good spot so they have success, right? But I had made the mistake of, well, it, my girlfriend at the time, I, she was keen to figure that. So we had this <laughs> amazing, we had the, I took her to my very, very, very favorite whitetail spot. And we had a beautiful day. We parked the truck and got, got daylight out. We snuck up the hill. We were into deer all day as we snuck up. And we got to my favorite rock and we sat down and sure enough, two deer come strolling down this gully and one's a little buck and, and she's got all the time in the world to kind of get comfortable with the idea of shooting it. And, um, and so she takes her time and I'm like sort of sitting behind her trying to like completely remove my energy of like, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. I'm like <laughs> kind of hanging out behind, allowing her her process. She shoots it. It's a perfect shot. I can see it run off and bounce off a couple of trees. I know what's going down. Like, Pretty cool experience. We go down there. Um, she's certainly the kind of person that wants to do everything. So, so I'm just standing back. She does everything. She drags her deer off the hill. Like, like still, like, just no high fives. No, like, it's like, she's still processing. We drag it all the way down to the truck. And, and we're about, like 40, like, 40 yards from the truck. And she's, like, dragging this. And she says, you know what? I feel pretty good right now. I feel pretty good. So we had like we cracked a beer and high fives and hugs at the truck, but um, 
anyway, so the next year, like we 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 were we were dating on and off for years. So we were on an off period now, and uh, we're living in two different cities, and we're still good friends. So I so I call her. I, I said, "So where are you going to go hunting this year?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go hunting." I'm like, "Oh, right now, where are you going hunting?" She's like, "Oh, I'm going to go back to Oliver Spot." She named her deer Oliver. And I was like, "Oliver Spot, you you can't go there." <laughs> and uh, anyways, I. I really should have included it in some kind of a prenup about the hunting spots. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, in retrospect. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm mindful of that. Like, you know, you, how you share... Well, this is where I, I kind of wanted to get to, and I think that I don't know how much time we got. We're running out. Okay, so but the, probably the hardest thing, the hardest thing... Oh, there we go. The lights are off. We're done. You're done. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what happened there. But oh, by far the go. hardest thing is getting information around where to go hunting. And where do you get that information? And how do you find it? And that's kind of what I find is the hardest part. Even on this last trip, going bison, I, I mind everybody that every biologist that I contact with, every like person that's been on this hunt. I'm just like digging and digging and digging and see how much information I can get. And that's the hardest part about hunting is finding that info, figure out where to go. So I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I would take a mentored hunter, and I have to my best spots. Um, friend of mine, Dr. Clayton Lamb, grizzly bear researcher, never got a turkey before in his life. I took him out last spring. He got a turkey first day. I was like, it's not always this good. Um, <clears throat> I took him to my prime number one spot. I wanted him to have a turkey. I wanted him to see success. If it means I don't get one there next year, you know, or whatever, I would always take somebody to the place I know I could be successful because it's more important that they're successful. So I would. Yeah. So do you have something drafted up I could look at, the contract? Or? Yeah, we'll get our, my lawyers will talk. Yeah. You can tell me where the bison are. Um, circling back to if hunting's easier or not, girls got to eat. Yes, for sure. You got to be crazy to say you don't want, you know, wild meat in your freezer. Of course we'll take it. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, it comes down to, like, there's hunting for meat. And then there's like mountain hunting where it's not efficient. It's a lot of money. You don't get to take back the bones. And sometimes you leave bits and pieces behind like Kurt, uh, Mark, you were just sharing there uh, on, your, on your elk hunt there. So I do those for the mental conditioning and the challenging because you're stripped away for on average 10 days of all your basic essential needs and you're just surviving. And that is not hunting for meat. If I was to be honest with everybody in this room, I'm not doing those hunts for meat. So there's two types of hunting. But yes, if hunting was easy, hell yeah, girls got to eat. <laughs> Curtis? Yeah, I'll keep things short and sweet. I'd, I'd still hunt if it was easy. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Good answer. Okay, uh, what about Mike? Well, yeah, I think um, the whole point of it for me is just to, to be outside and, and to enjoy nature and, and see stuff that you wouldn't normally see. Um, we always talk about one of our first hunts where we got up super early, we're out in the snow, and we watched this um, this owl come down right in front of us and, and grab a mouse and uh, fly away with it. And, you know, just as the sun's coming up, the sky's kind of red and it's beautiful and the light is, you know, it's just unreal. And those are the kind of the moments that, that you really appreciate when you're out there. And if you didn't hunt, you would miss all those, you know, those special things. And, of course, we're out there for, for meat. And of course, we all want that. So, so yeah, I would, I would keep doing it. I think um, at that moment too, I never used to like fall that much. Like I like winter because I like to ski, 
like summer for obvious reasons. But then as soon as we start hunting and like that, that uh, moment comes to mind right away. Um, cause you're up in elevation, all the trees are changing. Um, and then at that moment on, like fall has now become one of my favorite seasons. So it's just interesting how you value that a lot more when you're participating and you're hunting and, and, um, yeah, it's cool. Mark earlier today, we were out for lunch and you shared a quote, uh, with us, which I thought was kind of a cool way to wrap up this podcast. One of my favorite books is uh, called Meditations on Hunting, and it was written by um, a Spanish uh, hunter and philosopher in the nineteen, the late nineteen forties. And uh, you know, he he in his book he said, um, "Hunting, hunting is what one species does to take possession of another species." That you know, in a, in a simple term, that's what hunting is. Hunting is not unique um, to humans. It occurs throughout the entire animal kingdom. Um, so, when, so when I give this little bit of a quote, just kind of think about that. When, when I use the word hunter, um, Jose is, is talking about any animal in, in, uh, in the animal kingdom. And um, uh, Jose said, um, he said, hunters evolved specialized skills for hunting particular groups of prey. Prey species evolved unique abilities to evade their hunter. For every tactic the hunter developed, prey species developed a counter tactic. Prey species foresee, instinctively foresee their hunter, and more often than not, they evade their hunter. The essence of hunting. How does it go here now? The essence of hunting is simply a contest between two systems of instincts. The instinct to capture and the instinct to evade is the greatest instrument that nature uses to regulate life on the planet. Hunting is hard. It's hard because nature has designed it to be hard. And being a hunter in a system that is as powerful a system as climate change as the movement of the continents, I think, for me, puts it into perspective. It's hard because it's supposed to be hard. Well said. Yeah. We've got a few minutes left um, to do a bit of Q&A. Does anyone have questions they want to ask? So um, you guys said that often the, uh, the hunting starts in your office or at the computer or doing the research. So when you're doing your research, let's just take mule deer, for example. When you start your research and you sit down and you're looking at the topographical maps, Google Maps, whatever, you mentioned there's lots of different tools now. Um, what are some of the things you're looking for to narrow it down? Obviously, we have a huge province. So you know, you look at that province, you look at the species you want. What are maybe three things that you do to narrow that down um, so you can have a more successful hunt? I'll leave it to Kelly. Because he loves doing that. <laughs> I love uh, I love all that stuff. He just looks on a hillside and then, oh, there's a mule. <laughs> no, well, I mean, like slope is obviously like south-facing slopes, north-facing slopes, what season it is. Um, you know, vegetation is going to be different on each side. So it kind of, you know, that's a big one that we hear a lot. You know, the one I started relying on in the last year or so is um, elevation. And... Um, vegetation that grows in different elevation bands, I found was super helpful, especially with mule deer. 
because, you know, once I started figuring out like the Douglas fir versus the Ponderosa levels, um, and you can find a lot of information um, and overlays that you can put on, on certain things. So once I started focusing on that, I was actually running into more, um, not just mule deer, but more bucks because I, I feel like they're generally a little bit higher up. Um, so yeah, that's been, a, that's been working out for me so far in, in the last season. I would sort of start one level up though. Like I think that's that's the analysis I get to once I've picked a general area to go. And I think that's the yeah true. The hardest part is like, okay, where where do I start? Where, I mean, that's the most common question I get. It's like, where do I start? Where do I go hunting? And and for me, that starts with a phone call to, to a mentor or to somebody that has knowledge. Or and then if I can glean a bit of information, like they may not tell you exactly where to go, but they might at least tell you like, you know, north of Kamloops is a good place to go. And then if you start to like. Google around a little bit, you'll start to dig, like mine the hunting forums, and you'll see that there's a lot of guys talking about Clearwater and hunting around Clearwater. And then, like, as you like, we'll have to redact those names. What's that? We'll have to redact those names. I think there's an inside joke on BC hunting that says like Clearwater is the best spot in BC to go mule deer hunting. Um, anyways, that. Uh, but I would start there and just start mining information. Like for me, I'm very lucky. Like I had, I grew up with a bunch of hunters that were you know 20 30 years older than me um that have already explored all of british columbia and been up every mountain and every trail and like so now they're all too old to hunt all the spots so they're perfectly willing to tell me about these spots and so i so i just have this like rolodex of coolest places i want to go um so i would say like you know mind that those, those older mentors and and join like your fishing game club in your community or the bha here and you know anywhere in bc like because a lot of people that have that knowledge and you know, I've, I've got spots that I've hunted, like I've hunted for a bunch of years. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm kind of done with that spot. I'm moving on. I'd be happy to tell you about it. So, you, you <laughs> I, Jenny, I've told you several times. You don't, okay, anyways, moving on. <laughs> you just don't listen to my advice. I have them pinned on a Google Maps. I'm getting there. <laughs> One of the other things, uh, well, specifically to mule deer, um, there's been some scientific, you know, studies done. Um, you know, in Idaho and Montana where they do a lot of mule deer research. And um, there's a scientist at the University of Montana named Dr. Hebblewhite. Um, there's a really good presentation online. Um, you can look them up. The BC Wildlife Federation sponsored it uh, in Kelowna. Um, one of the things he said about mule deer was um, their number one food source, like if they had a choice, is actually wildflowers. Highly nutritious. They will target those in the alpine basins early in the year. Uh, it's their number one food source. Aspen or deciduous ecosystems throughout North America, mule deer that predominantly live in aspen ecosystems are much more stable. Their populations, they don't fluctuate as much because uh, basically everything in an aspen ecosystem a mule deer can eat. Um, so, so there's actually a really good source. If you could find that YouTube video and stuff, he imparts a lot of, a lot of good stuff about mule deer. Hi. Um, when I first started hunting, I got a lot of advice, but it took me a long time to separate the fact from fiction. Do you have any advice for new hunters to separate out the old wives tales from the kind of pearls of wisdom? If it's in one of those forums, <laughs> that's the fiction stuff. Yeah. The best way is to go check it out, like yeah. boots on the ground, like explore and get out there. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I think that that's, I mean, putting miles on and just like go and explore what's over the next ridge. Like, 
you guys are already lucky. Like you guys are starting this out with like Google Earth actually tells you what's on the other side of the hill. Like there was a time when you actually had to climb over the mountain to see what was there. And I'm old enough to know what that looked like <laughs> that time. <laughs> Any other questions out there? Just in terms of uh, effort to meat ratio, if you could only hunt one animal from now for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ducks. <laughs> Wild turkey. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of uh, opportunities for snowshoe hare in uh, yeah. in Kelowna, so that's a good not one. a lot of meat. Like there, well, I mean, you can. What is the limit? Ten or something like that? Yeah, Ten I guess. a day. Yeah, that's a lot of meat. <laughs> August first to June thirtieth or something. Yeah. Whitetail does. So we so we have a fairly liberal open season for whitetail does in British Columbia. We're, we're trying to reduce the number of whitetail does in order to um, reduce the pressure on our mule deer herd. Uh, so a number of places in southern BC, and actually there's there's populations throughout Merritt, uh, Kamloops that are growing populations of whitetail. Um, so if you can figure out a spot where a few whitetails live and you have a good spot to sit, um, you should be able to successfully harvest a whitetail every year, put the time in. I'd agree with that, Yeah. <laughs> This is an extremely conflicting question for me because I'm two years in. And so I don't actually have an experienced mentor where I go out into the woods with. Like I've been bumbling by myself with other people fresh off the uh, core test too. And for two years, I haven't been able to shoot a grouse, a duck, a bear, what else, a rabbit. So I don't know. I just want to be honest. If anybody feels my pain here, I still have never shot my own deer so all the easy game yeah sorry that wasn't that was not helpful for you but just in case you bumbled around for yeah just in case you bumbled around like all the advice if you gather tonight is go get an actual mentor and don't try to figure don't be stubborn like me and try to do things by yourself you did hit on something that it's actually probably worth mentioning like the bear population in British Columbia, the black bear population, is 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 very high and growing, and it's and it's makes great table fare, and it's a it's it's an easy easy hunt, relatively speaking, to other hunts. So, um, sorry, Kelly's <laughs> like shaking his head at me. Don't leave it to the last yeah. ten minutes before dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was maybe last lesson learned. There, but, but yeah, definitely uh, black bear hunting. I got a number of friends that are keen on it. Uh, we're planning a black bear hunt this this year. There's two seasons: there's a spring season and a fall season. So there's lots of opportunity to get after it. And uh, and the yeah, table fare is good as long as you take care of the meat. So something to think about. I agree with the white tail and the bear. I think those are the yeah. two for me. I think whitetail was my first harvest of whitetail dough. Yeah, same for me actually. Yeah, some of the best meat we've had. Yeah, um, we got one more question in the back. We'll take two more. Oh, you got the mic already. Go for it. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, I like to hear your opinion about technology and um, the laws and how easy it is to hunt. Um, technology is obviously catching up. I think using drones now is illegal to to hunt. Um, trail camps connected to cell phone networks are talking about making those illegal. I don't think they are yet. We now have rifle scope combinations that really bring into question fair chase, um, you know, distance-wise and everything. I'd like to hear your opinion about technology, the ethics of hunting, what's catching up to what. Um, like I said, just just like to hear your opinions on on you know what's where, where do we draw the line of it's legal, yes, but we're really getting to the idea of fair chase and you know is this is this rifle scope set up really really ethically okay. Um, and other other technology opinions, please. You have another two hours to sit here and listen to that. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> you know, it's um, 
it, it's an issue. It's a big issue. Um, it's hard to regulate stuff and completely close the gap on technology making wildlife more vulnerable, um, which vulnerability leads to excessive harvest, which then impacts wildlife populations and takes away all of us. It's a slippery slope. You get to a point where you just cannot close the gap on everything. Um, the best way is peer-to-peer. If you believe in something in your heart, you don't use the technology. Let people know. Be a leader. Take a flack. I don't use a trail camera. Never will. Don't believe in it. If you want to, fill your boots. Um, you're going to have more impact uh, on people that way. And I think the single biggest threat of technology we have in hunting is those things right there are cell phones. And it's people phoning people back and forth and using drop pins and all that kind of stuff. And that's something I'd be more concerned about a hunting community and a conversation around the use of communication devices than any weapon type system that's that's out there. That's a good answer. Anybody, you guys add anything? No, but I, I we came up against that on this recent bison hunt. We were like we acknowledged that we were on WhatsApp. We had all our group on WhatsApp, and they you can do a location for for where you are. And then it was like we had the ethical dilemma. We're like, okay, well we know where we all are. So if we're like pushing a herd of bison around, I know where you are. So that gives me a distinct advantage of where to set up. And I've never had a thought about that before. So we we ended up managing for that. Like we actually took that out of our ability to hunt them because I felt like it's probably illegal or it will be or certainly unethical. But it was something that yeah came up for us for sure. And on on the piece of cell phones, like just the ability for like all the apps that are available for like mapping and information and like it just makes it so much easier. Makes it yeah. So definitely changing things for sure. But yeah. Yeah, hard to keep up because it's moving so fast. So uh, we got one more question in the back. Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering. Uh, they've turned into an, uh, or been deemed a nuisance animal recently. Wild hogs or boars or a combination thereof. Um, have you all hunted uh, wild hogs here in, in BC? I know they're moving across from Saskatchewan, Alberta, into BC. Yet, any of you have experience with that? Do you know where they are? <laughs> I would hunt them if I knew where they were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Mark's the expert. I think he did an expert. episode on this. Well, uh, Ryan Brooke is the expert. Yeah, yeah. we actually, uh, one of our early podcast episodes, we flew to the University of Saskatchewan and went with Dr. Ryan Brooke, who's kind of the leading authority on the wild invasive pigs uh, in the province. <laughs> Um, there are a few small populations in BC. Um, BC's done a pretty good job at kind of controlling them. We've got some reports this year that they may be in the Wells Wells Gray area. Um, they've been seen uh, up there. The basic message from Ryan is, and this is everywhere in the world where invasive pigs are a problem, hunting is not the solution. Hunting actually makes it worse. Um, if you want to control invasive wild pigs, you have to like 100% kill every pig in a group called the sounder. Hunting tends to remove one or two pigs. It gets them wise. It makes them nocturnal. It pushes them. It expands their range and stuff. So if it ever becomes an issue here in British Columbia from a conservation perspective, I hope the hunting community comes up and says, we know from science hunting is not the solution. We need a province-led control. But they do taste good. <laughs> well thank you to everybody for coming out this is uh 
pretty awesome. We're kind of left speechless by the fact that all you guys would come out and spend time with us and, and spend money to, to be here. Uh, Jenny put a ton of work into putting this all together. So round of applause for, for Jenny. Thank you. And uh, backcountry hunters and anglers is obviously, you know, a big part of making this happen too. Filson uh, gave us the space. This has been pretty awesome. And uh, Stanley Park Brewing for uh, keeping us uh, lubricated here, yeah. Anything else you guys want to add? No, it's been a ton of fun. It's great to see everybody. Yeah. So awesome. Eat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Bye. Cheers. Yeah, there's more beer. Hang out. Uh, have some fun. <laughs>